Hey y'all, I'm Justin Mitchell and this is Out Here in America. It's a new show from the Sun-Herald in Biloxi, Mississippi and McClatchy. Before we get to the episode, we wanted to introduce y'all to our friend Evan Wolfson. He's the founder and former president of Freedom to Marry. That's the campaign that won nationwide marriage equality before the Supreme Court in 2015. Now we're excited to help them get the word out about an amazing new project. Hi, Evan. Hi, Justin. As you know, we've achieved a dream that I'd pursued for more than 30 years and our movement had pursued for more than 40 years. But while we've won the freedom to marry in law, the marriage conversation is still a powerful engine of transformation that can continue to build support in the South and elsewhere. The case before the Supreme Court and the decades-long struggle that led to it has been made into a documentary by Eddie Rosenstein called The Freedom to Marry. The Supreme Court says it will take up the issue of same-sex marriage. The biggest gay rights ruling ever. This is about the dignity of millions of Americans. The essence of the right to marry is the freedom to marry the person you choose. Evan is the visionary behind this movement. His true gift was to be the marriage guy. Because I knew that this was a national conversation that was gonna change everything. It's been four plus decades of work. Evan, it's good to have you back. I mean, you have worked more than anybody else on this. And now, America is ready for the freedom to marry. This documentary is being embraced around the world. It contains the lessons for how to achieve change, not just for LGBT causes, but for any cause in any country. And in fact, Justin, this documentary is coming to Biloxi for a community screening with the Sun Herald and McClatchy at the end of July. I'm sure you'll tell them more about it. But for now, people can also learn more about the film at freedomtomarrymovie.com. And they can watch it themselves on iTunes. And I look forward to being back in Mississippi in July. Thanks, Evan. We're finalizing the details now for this amazing event. So check back next week because it's going to be a pretty unforgettable night. Until then, let's get back to today's episode. Some people spend their young lives trying to avoid responsibility, but some dedicate their lives to helping the people around them. Jenna Lockwood is one of those dedicated individuals. She spent her entire childhood around a fierce grandmother who also happened to be one of the few women to serve in Mississippi's state Senate. That same woman told Jenna to never apologize for what she believes in, but to also give back to her community. For Jenna, that meant coming out as a lesbian and joining the military. But how do you serve your country as a gay woman with a policy like don't ask, don't tell that said, if you were gay, you should keep it to yourself. Clearly the American people are deeply divided on this issue with most military people opposed to lifting the ban because of the feared impact on unit cohesion rooted in disapproval of homosexual lifestyles and the fear of invasion of privacy. I joined Jenna and her wife and son at their home in Picayune, Mississippi. In the hours we spent together, Jenna shared why she joined the military that wanted her to stay hidden on Out Here in America. It was so funny when we were driving in, and the road right before you is called Possum Hollow. We were giggling. That's the, that's the road, road she lives on. 
So you, yeah. you grew up on Possum Hollow? I did. <laughs> if you look down, if you glance down it, but there's that big house you see straight from the road, that's the house my sister is selling right now. And then that red brick house you passed was the house that my grandmother lived in. So all this is like family. Were you and your grandmother really close growing up? Oh yeah. She took me every, like everywhere. I was like her little sidekick. And there was a big movement where they were trying to get a tri-state dump here in Provo County out by the kill. And my grandmother had cancer at the time, but um, she fought it against it. And she created this organization called uh, MAD, which is Mississippi Against Dumping. And I remember I drove her to Popperville and they were having a meeting and she was so weak and she went in there and they're like, Senator Tate, you can sit down. And she said, I will not, I'm gonna stand here and I'm gonna make you listen to what I have to say. This is important to me. And she was just that kind of person. She was stubborn and don't matter if you agreed with her or not, you were hearing it. So I'm like, that's how I'm gonna be. Did what she tell you about politics, did that stay with you? Does that resonate with you today? Oh yeah, I graduated from Picayune High School in 05. Then from high school, I actually went in the military before I went to college. And it's just something that I wanted to do. My grandfather was in the military. I was in an ROTC program in high school, did very well in it. And so I just decided I was gonna join the military. And I, I, I joined to, help people, to help our country, to, to keep people safe. And I joined as a dental assistant. That's what I wanted to do. My cousin was a dental assistant in the military, and so I was like, all right, well, this is what I'm gonna do. So I went to the recruiting office, and I said, I wanna be a dental assistant. And they were like, well, you can't just come into the office and tell me what you wanna be. And I said, okay, well, how does this work? And they're like, well, you have to take an ASVAB first, and then based off of your ASVAB scores, we tell you what jobs you qualify for. And I said, okay. So I went and took the ASVAB and I scored very high on the ASVAB. And they said, well, you qualify for any job in the military. And I said, well, I already told you what job I want. I want to be a dental assistant. And they said, well, that job's not available. And I said, okay, well, this is a voluntary thing. So you call me when it is. And so about six months later, the recruiter called me and she said, I got you a job. Are you still interested? And I said, yep. So what year was that? January 26th of 08. And how long were you an active member? I was an active member in the Air Force until, well, six years after that. So what is that, 2014? So you joined the Air Force before Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. Correct. I remember sitting on the plane going to boot camp and it was just me. I just went by myself and I, told myself, all right, you're going in this. This is something you have to do. No one has to know. Victor Fehrenbach always stood out to me because, you know, he was very decorated uh, pilot. Everyone thought so highly of him. The Air Force has been my life. Um, I was born on an Air Force base. The Air Force has been part of my family. And uh, I've served for, for 18 years, and I was just two years short of retirement and he got kicked out strictly because of his sexual orientation. Like he was the ideal airman and for him, his service to his country was more important than his sexual orientation. And that's how I felt, you know, I told myself, I want to serve my country and do this. 
no matter what happens. And if I would have got kicked out, I still wouldn't have not served my country, so. So when you joined in 2008? I was out and at boot camp, you know, there was 52 girls in, in, our, in our room. And there was probably about six of us who were lesbians. And I served with a lady who was married, essentially. You know, she, they had a commitment ceremony. And we kind of only talked to each other about it. Like, we could say the same exact stories. I could tell you stories about my wife today. And it would change nothing if I just said she was my husband. And so that's kind of how it was. We talked about our boyfriends and the people who knew, knew that they weren't our boyfriends. <laughs> and it was a way that we could still be a part of the conversations, but stay safe and know that we weren't in fear of being thrown out for being gay. And you know, I've had people say, Jenna, I've known you all my life. I can tell you you're gay from like 50 feet away. Like, how do they not know you're gay? And I'm like, well, it kind of does make a gray area. No matter how pretty you are, you put on a, a military uniform and you put your hair up and you don't wear any makeup, um, you and I look very similar. <laughs> so it was a lot easier for gay women to hide. Did you ever have to hide at home in this small country town you grew up in? Um, no. I think, like just the hour drive made a difference. Like I never really had the fear of like going out to dinner with my girlfriend or anything and like seeing someone who I was in the military with because everyone was so far away. And I also still to this day don't think that people really understood the ramifications of being gay when it wasn't okay. I was just talking to someone recently and they said, you were in the military? And I was like, yeah. And they were talking about don't ask, don't tell. And another person I work with, they're like, she's not that old, that's been forever ago. And I'm like, no, it's not actually. <laughs> like that's not at all very old and uh, definitely served during that time. And like, so I don't, I wouldn't say that, sh that straight people don't know gay issues, but I think that it's just not something that's on their radar. What was it like for you to have to hide who you were you know, I, I definitely equate it to like having like a double life. Like, can I tell that person? Can I not tell that person? And then like, you somehow always find other gay members. Like, <laughs> and so I had a, a very good friend of mine who was gay in, in my unit. And so we would go out to dinner and she would go with her girlfriend and other people would be like, oh, can I come? And then you're like constantly thinking, should they come? Is that okay? Do we worry about this? And like, you don't know who you can talk to, who you can exclude, what you can do with these people. And when I would go to drill and things, they would put you in a hotel if you're from farther than a certain mileage away, which Hattiesburg when I was in the military, it was further away. And I would always not want to stay in the hotel because they would put you with someone you don't know. But, I mean, anything you do was, there was always a fear of like, does this person know I'm gay? Do they not know I'm gay? If I do tell them, like, how will they react? Like, you don't know their background. You don't know where they came from. Like, the, you serve with them and, and the aspect of how you serve with them, they could be the nicest, coolest person. And then you turn around and find out that they 
have the exact opposite view of you. You told me a story on the phone about a questionnaire that the military uh -huh. had given. Welcome back to The Ed Show. The Commander-in-Chief wants to end the controversial don't ask, don't tell policy for gays in the military, but the Pentagon is now asking rank-and-file service members to weigh in, emailing out questionnaires with questions like this. Do you feel comfortable serving with someone? Do you know you've served with someone? How do you, would you react if someone came out to you or you had to serve with a gay military member? Like various different questions in various different scenarios. But what was odd about it is it was completely anonymous, but yet in order to take the survey, you had to get on a military computer. In order to get on a military computer, you had to put your military ID card into the computer and log in. I mean, it doesn't take two people to understand, like, by taking this with my military card, the anonymity of it is very vague. So one of the questions were, are you a gay member serving in the service now? And I lied. I said, nope. Because to me, I thought about what would happen if all these surveys come back and they say it, it's going to cause a problem, like if people are allowed to serve gay. So we need to keep it how it is. I'm just giving you the ammo you needed to kick every gay service member out. So I know that I said no. I was a straight member and I answered every other question honestly, but that first question, I knew the ramifications if it didn't go the way it did, that it could very well become a not so anonymous survey. When you first signed up, did anyone ever speculate or think you may have been gay or ask you about it? And did it even matter though when you were on the field or in boot camp? Yeah, I, I remember one of my best friends at boot camp was straight and every single night I would go to her bunk and we would stretch for the next morning and we would drink a canteen of water to just make sure we stayed hydrated for the next morning. And people always were like, oh, they have something going on. They have to. And we were like, we don't. And I remember being scared. Like, what if they think we do? What if someone questions me? What if they tell the person? And in the showers, I know that like I was always like kind of self-conscious, like, oh my God, what if they think this, like, what if they think I'm staring at them and I'm not? Like, let's be clear. We had two minutes to take a shower. There was no time for anything besides lather, rinse, repeat. Um, so it wasn't that it was an issue because it was never really something that was talked about. But the fear was there, definitely. For we are not a nation that says, don't ask, don't tell. We are a nation that says, out of many, we are one. We are a nation that welcomes the service of every patriot. We are a nation that believes that all men and women are created equal. After Don't Ask, Don't Tell, did life change at all? In the military, it did. I, I didn't, at that point, I didn't fear losing a career because of who I loved. I didn't fear that I was gonna get discharged because of it. And my commander met my wife and you know she was very nice to her and she she's a Facebook friend of mine and she always comments about how cute our son is and stuff so there it, she never had an issue with it and afterwards I guess that was a relief off of my shoulders. I got out of the military just because every single time that I felt like 
had something to do, it was going to be on a time that I was, I had drill, I was in the military. Or, um, and it was very stressful on my relationship. And so that all, all those factors came into me not re-enlisting. And I talked to people about re-enlisting and I looked into joining the National Guard. I talked to a recruiter. I did all of that. Then the deciding factor was when Trump became president. I said, I, I, I can't do that. Why? Um, well, I think that outside of the military, I don't think Trump has the best track record with the LBGT community. And it's not even a fact that I couldn't say, like, I couldn't serve for him. I'm sure there are plenty of people who didn't like serving for President Obama, but they did. So it wasn't that kind of issue for me. It was just that I feared of what the outcome of my life could be under that administration. And I think as Americans, we have that fear. Have you ever fought for you and your wife's rights here in Picayune? Yeah. My wife and I, we were the first couple in the county to go register our marriage license at the courthouse. And we got married in New York because it wasn't legal in Mississippi. Um, I also applied for a marriage license um, before it was legal to purposely get denied to show the discrimination on gay people strictly because of who they wanted to get married to, so. The day you went into the courthouse and you mm -hmm. knew you were gonna get denied, what was it like inside? How did you feel? Oh, the tension. Well, I did it in Pearl River County, I did it in Harrison County, but all different places, it, it was a different mood. In Hattiesburg, when we went and did it, the lady there was very nice. She was friends with a bunch of couples, so, it was very personal for her to have to deny her friend. Like, I have to deny someone that I know, someone that I love, that I put my health in their hands, and I have to tell them no. So she was very apologetic. You know, she was like, I'm sorry. I took an oath. I have to do this. And that was a lot easier than in Pearl River County when we went in. And she was like, bye, basically. Like, no. You could tell that she could not agree more with the denial process. And there was a cameraman there, and he literally took his camera away, and he said, you know, and he, this is gonna choke me up, but, but he told me, he, he said, I knew your grandmother. I've interviewed her numerous times, and she would be proud of you. And I just, burst into tears. I mean, still do. <laughs> and I knew at that moment that no matter what this lady told me, that I, I knew I was doing what I was doing for the right reasons and was at that point very unapologetic about doing it. And even then, I thought about, I'm going to school to be a teacher. Like, now I've like made myself open, like, what if they don't hire me? And I told myself, I can't not do this for fear of that happening because I owe it to people who can't do this. What does it mean for you, Jenna, to live in a house with your wife on the same hill where you grew up with your grandmother in a small town that maybe doesn't always understand who you are. 
I guess I see my grandmother every day in different aspects. So that's like very calming and the rest of it, I just take the approach that she does, you know, like me or not, I don't care, you know. Funny story about my grandmother when she was dying, um, she was on her deathbed and people would come and visit her and they would say, she would knock, they would knock on the door and they'd say, I'm here to see Miss Tate or I'm here to see Wootsie. And she would be in her bed and she'd say, who is it? And I'd say, oh, it's so-and-so. And she'd say, tell them to go away. And I said, what? And she said, tell them. If they didn't want to come see me when I was well, they're damn sure not going to come see me when I'm on my deathbed. That's just how she was. She did not care about, you know, how you felt about her or whatever. And I guess that's how I take the approach. You know, I'm not going to change the way I do things. I'm not going to change the way I act. I'm not going to apologize for being married to a woman and raising a child. I'm just going to do the best I can at all those things as a person. You know, my wife and I raise our son to be a good moral citizen, and that's all I can ask. Since I last sat down with Jenna, a judge reversed the repeal of a state law that allows institutions to legally deny service to LGBTQ people in Mississippi. My chat with Jenna reminded me that even though Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, there's still a long way to go for us to really feel equal. Thanks to our Out Here in America team, Amanda McCoy, Jordan Marie Smith, and Davin Coburn. And thanks to Jason Shaw for the music. Want more stories like Jenna's? Subscribe to Out Here in America on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. In the meantime, I'll see y'all next week on Out Here in America.